Hi everyone and welcome to another episode of the Midday Chew with NAZ Elite. I'm Veronica and today we're talking to Eric Fernandez about his recent decision to decide to retire from professional running. Yes ma'am. It so. happened. <laughs> <laughs> So just what are your initial thoughts on retirement? Um, it's, uh, it's a peaceful transition. And I think a lot of that alludes to knowing when it's time to step away from the sport and being willing to accept that this particular chapter of my life, though rewarding, is officially over. But not in a bitter way, but in a celebratory way. I, I, I feel very fortunate for what I've been able to experience as a professional athlete. And I look forward to the next chapter of my life now. So so when did you start considering retirement? You know, it's interesting because I actually technically retired once before. Um, after college, I was pretty injury. Uh, inju- I, was just, I was just worn down from injury. You know, I had I needed surgery. I was very burned out. Um, not to completely knock the Division One NCAA system, but a lot of athletes, when you're in a powerhouse program like the University of Arkansas, where I was, um, you leave the program just almost feel like you were dragged through the mud, you know, just because it's it's a very intense environment for young men and women to be in. Um, so when I retired that time, I left kind of bitter. You know, I was angry at the sport, but then... Ben Rosario was gracious enough to offer me a spot on the team when I realized that I, I wasn't fulfilled yet, that I felt like I had more to offer the sport, more that I wanted to accomplish for myself. And, you know, that was just an incredible four-year journey. Um, in my mind, even though I ran one more race after the CIM Marathon, I feel like the CIM Marathon, where I did my debut, um, 21409. I really wish it was 213 something, but 21409. I feel like that was kind of the culmination of the four year journey. So after that, you know, you have those post race, just fired up feelings where you where I was thinking about the next step, where it was going to be, where I was going to be, what the next race would be, where my career was headed. Um, But as I started transitioning out of break mode back into training mode, um, and even to the point where I felt like my old fitness was coming back again, and I was about to have a really good year. I realized that physically I wasn't feeling as sharp as I had in the past and mentally I wasn't really giving myself over to the sport as much as I had in the past. Um, so that was when the thoughts started to creep in. Uh, I did, you know, Coach Ben and I have had a very honest relationship, an open relationship, so I did express those feelings with him early on and he was working through it with me and we were getting over it. Um, but then, unfortunately, I actually injured myself again two weeks before the U.S. Half Marathon Championships. And I don't know if it was so much a physical, mental, whatever sign that came from that injury, but that was when I was really able to step away because I wasn't able to train every day. I had no choice but to you know rest, cross-train, whatever, and really internalize the feelings that I had had about whether it was time to leave the sport or not. And I realized that I was combating mental and physical signs that it was time for the next chapter of my life. Do I think I could have run faster in the marathon? 
Hell yes, absolutely. Do I feel a need to do that anymore? No, because I feel like everything that went into CIM pretty much encompasses the professional running experience that I desire for myself and what Northern Arizona Elite is as a whole as far as a team that just believes in trusting in the process, raising the bar, and seeing where that will lead you. So that was my very long explanation to your question. No, that's good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Ben, what were your initial thoughts when um, Eric started to talk about he, that he was considering retirement? Well, at first, uh, it's not really uncommon for an athlete um, of almost any ability level who takes it seriously to have a bit of a letdown after a marathon. Um, after any big event, really, but in particular, I find that the marathon, because it requires so much emotional investment over such a long period of time, good or bad, you do have sort of that crash emotionally afterward. In fact, I think the better the race, the bigger the crash, and the worse the race, the bigger the crash. It's probably the middle-of-the-road ones that don't have as much effect on you. Um, but I think that his debut was really, really good. Um, 2.14.09 was fantastic. The way he ran it was fantastic. It was a beautiful day. He got fourth place. Um, I think... Though we thought he could do that, there is some of that like chip on your shoulder kind of um, aspect to things. And I, I think probably he exceeded outsiders' expectations, which is always nice and makes you feel good. Um, so all of these things were good. Nothing but positive about, about CIM. But when he came to me with those thoughts, they weren't surprising uh, for the reasons I've mentioned. Um, and like he said, we, we were trying to work through it. And my, my advice to him was... Don't force it. And this is my advice to everyone in this situation when you're sort of, I guess, depressed would be the term, um, is, is don't, don't force yourself to try and feel better. Of course, you can step back and realize that, he, that the problem is that you need to be happier and you need to relax and these sorts of things. We can't just make it happen. And in my experience with running, and this is what I told Eric, was that Look, just, just do what you're supposed to do. As the workouts start getting better and you start feeling better physically, you'll start getting excited again. And that's, of course, what I was hoping for um, initially to answer your question. Okay. Um, so I was looking back on the NEZ website and it seems like you had, Eric, you had a really great buildup going into CIM. So mm -hmm. what really do you think led you to that point where you had like a nice, healthy buildup with the exception of that one weekend scare? Um. You know, it was a lot of trial and error, I think. Um, one fortunate thing about Ben's and my relationship that I've alluded to a lot is that Ben has known me since I was 15 years old. So when it comes from a coaching perspective, for the final coach of my competitive running career to have witnessed me running for my high school coach, for my collegiate coach, Ben has a relationship with my youth club coach from when I was 12 years old. Um, you know, there's definitely something where I believe that Ben as a coach has seen me throughout my career and seen what works and what doesn't work. So as a guy who's six foot three and, you know, I'm not saying I'm heavy, but you know, I'm a, I'm not one of those guys that's just going to be a rail that you, a stiff wind would blow over. I'm a bigger, I fret to use the word muscular, but I mean, I'm on the more muscular side of distance runners. Um, I have to train differently than other people. And what Ben and I learned throughout the three years leading up to my final push into the marathon and what I think Ben witnessed through my collegiate career and high school career when I was combating injuries and whatnot 
is that we basically have to play with all the tools that are handed to us outside of just strictly running. Yeah, the only thing that's going to get you good at running is running. But what did I utilize? I utilized a lot of Alter G, um, more Alter G miles than I want to count because I think it'll make me cry. But it was about 25 to 30% of my weekly miles on the Alter G. Um, I needed to double pretty much every day because I was about to run a 26.2 mile race. Well, my body can't double after a hard workout. If I'm putting in 18, an 18, 16 mile workout in the morning, I'm not going to do a four mile shakeout in the afternoon. So we utilize things like the elliptical, um, aqua jogging, you know, non-impact things, a lot of strength training, um, just to keep, I mean, strength training, I think is one of the most underrated things in, in distance running, uh, because for whatever reason, you get a bunch of skinny people who want to run fast and are scared to do squats, but we utilize a lot of strength training, which has, has proven to cause injury prevention or to lead to injury prevention. So it won't be anyway. Yeah. It's injury prevention techniques. Um, and then finally on my own end, um, I have a great partnership with garden of life. Um, they also sponsor USATF and they create these organ organic, uh, vegan supplements. Um, so I was just very, very conscious about my diet and by supplements, I don't mean like gray area supplements. I'm talking about multivitamins, you know, D vitamins for bone strength, iron pills to make sure that my, you know, my energy levels were high. Um, and I honestly just followed a very regimented diet throughout that time to sleeping very seriously. I think, uh, a side effect of marathon training is if you're a guy like me who doesn't like taking naps at a certain point during marathon training, you have no choice but to take a nap because your body's just shutting down on you in the middle of the day. So I was taking a lot of naps. Um, I think my PR for bedtime during marathon training was 7.30 PM because I was so tired from, <laughs> from the day that that might've been on the three by three mile workout or the three miles, six by mile, three mile, but, um, I think anyway, yeah, so to answer your question and kind of round things out, I think both between Ben and myself, we both took it upon ourselves to look at essentially a 15 years worth of data, because I started running when I was 12 competitively, and look at what works, what doesn't work, what are other people doing to differentiate themselves from the crowd and hit that next level, and then what can we do to compensate that, um, because everyone's different. Man, I wish I could run 130 miles a week on the ground and not have to be in the Alter G. But the truth of the matter is, if it wasn't for the Alter G, I probably wouldn't have made it to that starting line. So, thank you, Alter G. <laughs> <laughs> so, you're saying you've been running since competitively since you were 12. So, what was mm -hmm. your running progression like going from age 12 to joining NAZ Elite like for you? I got faster. <laughs> and I started running longer races. <laughs> No, uh, when I was 12, I started um, with a group called the St. Louis Blazers. They're a youth track club. Ben was actually a St. Louis Blazer himself in St. Louis and coached the St. Louis Blazers before moving to Flagstaff. That was post-Eric time. but um, I ran for a gentleman named Blair Porter, and he basically just gets kids to fall in love with running. So when I was running with the Blazers, you know, 12 years old, I was running like 800s, 400s just for fun. Um and then I ran my first like AAU national cross country race and found out I was good at running because I got sixth place. I was like, ah, oh, cool. Um, that was fun. It was like, like a 3K or something. Um, but then, yeah, I ran in high school. I ran for uh, coaches Dave Toby and Dale Shepard. And um, yeah, my senior year, I was undefeated in cross country until Foot Locker Midwest. And I don't think I've ever shared this with people. 
But I was third place with a mile to go in that race, and it was the first time ever where I had people running around me. And, you know, was, I was running against, like, Chris Derrick and uh, Mike Fout and all the guys that are my age. And I'm not making an excuse for 17-year-old Eric, but I totally choked. I could have made that team. I know I choked. Because I was, like, freaking out. I was like, oh, this is the first time I have to, like, really go into the hurt locker at the end of a race, which I hadn't had to do all season because um, I was just racing in Missouri at that point. Um, so that was fun. But then uh, – yeah, I went to University of Arkansas. I signed with Coach McDonald. Um, he retired, and I ran for Coach Bucknum. And that was an up-and-down career. It was definitely a rewarding career, but they really uh, they really run you hard at Arkansas, which I'm grateful for. Um, highlights, my redshirt freshman debut 10K, I ran 28.37. Um, I was All-American in cross-country, won, won two individual SEC titles, um, had the honor of captaining the team. And currently, if you go to my house, I have a case that has nine SEC rings and one NCAA ring in there from different titles that the team won. So, including triple crowns, go Hogs. So, <laughs> and if anyone asks, the SEC is the best conference across the board for all sports. So, I know we live in Pac-12 country out here in Arizona, but... <laughs> Um, and yeah, and then after that, I came to NAZ Elite, and I'd really say the highlight for me, like I said before, it just comes down to CIM. I mean, there's a lot of races before that and a lot of triumphs before that, but if I really look at what will stick out in my entire running career for the rest of my life when I'm 50, 60 years old and, you know, I'm just the old fat guy at the bar telling stories about when I was a professional athlete, it'll be the CIM marathon, so... Back when I was an athlete. <laughs> um, so you were in Arkansas, you were winning a bunch of titles and stuff like that, so you definitely had a very strong team culture. Was that one of the things that drew you to NAZ Elite as well, being in a team culture in the professional running world, which isn't terribly common? Absolutely. Because, um, I, I mean, yeah, I need a team. And that was actually the weirdest thing for me. Um, and it's, it's just the nature of being in the professional world versus the NCAA world. But the, it was it's very bizarre. It was very bizarre for me in a weird way to have this awesome team and training group, but then not go on to like a conference track championships and try to win a conference title. You know, like I mean, there was club cross country, but I never got to run club cross country. So that that is honestly the one thing um, I think I've missed since college is just the SECs and stuff like that, where it's like. I distinctly remember SECs before the 5K, coach coming up to the 5K runners and telling us, hey, we need 20 points out of you guys. I don't care how it happens, get 20 points. And then we went out there and we got 22 points. I was just so stoked. And it's like, you don't really get that in professional running per se. You, I mean, you totally get it in other ways. But that was like the one thing that I loved about team culture. And that being said, the team culture at NAZ Elite is out of this world. Um, we all support each other, train with each other. I mean, it, it honestly really puts into perspective how professional athletics is an actual full-time job because if you think about the people going to their office every day they're seeing the same damn people in the cubicle next to them every single day they go in and our office just happens to be Lake Mary Road or the track but it really was this culture of like we are an AZ elite as a group versus individuals within the group Um, and we saw each other all damn time I mean we still do so sorry for saying damn on your podcast (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> That's fine. Um, so what was your highlight at Arkansas, do you think, as like a team for you? Or one of your highlights? Um, I'd say one of the cooler experiences for me was my first SEC title. 
that I was a part of, which was my redshirt freshman year indoors, because that was the first time I really grasped how important it was. Um, also, as a team, my junior year cross-country, which is kind of weird because that's the year that we didn't go to NCAAs as a team, and I went as an individual at large. But I really feel like that was one of the stronger team dynamics we had that year. Um, and it was super cool because at SEC's cross-country that year, Vander- or, no, not Vanderbilt, Tennessee was hosting. It was in Tennessee, though, obviously. Yeah, so it was in Knoxville. Um, that was when I won my first SEC title as an individual. And I remember crossing the line and then looking behind me and my teammate Duncan Phillips, um, who also actually recently retired this year. He was a 1,500 runner. But he came storming in in second, and I didn't expect that. And that was just like a really cool, beautiful moment. But, yeah. Sweet. SEC's was a lot of fun, man. I mean, like, I know that there's a lot of opinions about conference meets, especially high-intensity conference meets, specifically for distance runners, because it's really hard to run a 10K at conference, come back around 10K at regionals, come back around 10K at nationals. But I feel like unless you've experienced that high-intense environment, like, yeah, I could have ran faster at regionals, probably qualified for national meets, but still it was always worth it to win SEC titles because that was just I mean it's the same as the emotional roller coaster of a marathon where you just get so emotionally invested in this meet that takes three days long and then at the end of it when you win it's just it's awesome so that's sorry I rambled no no it's great great. (laughs) um so I heard that at Arkansas it's kind of a team tradition where you can get a hogs tattoo once you're Mm -hmm. all Americans what was that like for you when you finally got all American and cross it was cool because I got a hog tattoo. <laughs> it was cool. It was cool going into the locker room with a hog tattoo. Um, it's weird going to like a Fayetteville public pool with a hog tattoo because then you just get a lot of like, yeah, no hogs, man. We picture it. Yeah. <laughs> Arkansas is a beautiful state, but there's a few places where you see a lot of furniture in the front yard. <laughs> Um, so then after you graduated from Arkansas, you are saying how you kind of took a brief break from running. So mm-hmm. what did you do in that brief break? I, uh, started working full-time in financial services. So what does that mean? I was a financial representative for a major Fortune 500 firm. And, um, yeah, I started, a, I started building a career and it was a rather successful career, um, at the time, but yeah, it was... Yeah, I became a, a normal workhorse. <laughs> and then you started to run a little bit again, mm-hmm. and you contacted Ben. So, Ben, what was it like when Eric just called you up one day and was like, hey, like, I'm back into running? Yeah, it was great. I mean, I was happy to hear that, of course, because as he mentioned, I had been following his career since he was 15, and I thought he was super talented always. And, and I felt for him at Arkansas because I knew, um, I knew, like he mentioned, that it is, and it, I'm not singling out Arkansas, but the NCAA system, when you're good, like Eric was, and when you're on a high-level program with a big major team focus like Arkansas has, you do get put through the meat grinder. And so I knew about his college career, and I knew all the successes he had had, but I also knew that he had been banged up at the end and sort of chewed up and spit out um, and you know had some injury troubles there with his uh, particularly stress fractures and, and, and then his toes and he had had surgery and all these things. But you always hope that an athlete is going to somehow be able to, um, I don't know, fulfill their potential, you know, and you always hope for that, especially somebody you like. So when he called me, you know, the, the but, but, there's a but, I guess, <laughs> but 
I also know how difficult it is to train at a high level. And I also know that when people graduate college and they go into the workforce, they oftentimes start regretting not continuing. That's not uncommon. And they have dreams, oh, if I would have done this or if I would have done this or if I could just get back to running again, I could do X. And so when he called me, I wasn't, I didn't just, you know, go head over heels and get all excited and tell him, move out to Flagstaff tomorrow. I said, well, you're going to have to prove it to me because what I was hearing from him was the same thing that I've heard from some of my own teammates over the years, different things. I mean, they just, they just missed it because at first when he calls you and he tells you this, really, it's no more than he just misses it, you know? And really he was pretty honest about that. Yeah. He wasn't necessarily saying he was, he didn't have delusions of grandeur. He wasn't saying, Oh, I know that I could do X, you know? But um, I don't even want to be a pro athlete. No, he just, he just wanted to just see if I would help him get back to running. Honestly, it wasn't even, it wasn't, it didn't, it didn't have anything to do with pro running at all. Um, and, and I was okay with that because I'm, I, you know, I consider him a friend and I wanted to help him, but I didn't want to waste my time to be honest with you either. So I think I made him run every day for 14 straight days or something. 10, ten times in 14 days. That's right. I didn't want him to do every day because I didn't want him to get hurt. I told him he had to run 10 times over the course of 14 days. And one day I only ran 10 minutes instead of counted. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and if he did that, he could call me back and then and then we could start doing something. So that's what he did. And then um, I, guess, I guess I started writing some workouts and I guess he started, uh, you know, hitting things and, and getting fitter. And then I guess he started really enjoying it, if I remember correctly. And then somewhere along the line, you started talking about maybe Coming giving play. it a real go. I don't remember the exact. I don't. I don't remember the exact conversation line. either. I do remember that the company I was working for, you know, management knew what I was doing, and um, the managing partner one time came to our office and sat me down in a conference room and basically told me. I can't burn the stick on two ends. And I, honestly, he was very gracious about it because um, I know from like a financial perspective and a company perspective, they probably wanted me to stay. Oh, I hope they wanted me to stay there. It might have been a passive-aggressive way of firing me, but he basically told me that I'm only going to be in my 20s at one point in my life and I have the rest of my life for my long-term career. Um, and Because, I mean, they, it was... As I got more involved with the running and Ben was training me and I was getting more excited about it, you know, I'll be honest, I was leaving in the middle of the day from work to go do my workouts and stuff because they would want me at the office at 6, 6.30 and yeah, I could have gone up at 4 to do a workout, but it wouldn't have been as high quality. I'd be running in the dark, so I'd just leave in the middle of the day, go to the Arkansas Cross Country course, do a workout, shower, and go back to work, and everyone knew what I was doing. Um, so I think that conversation occurred and then... I needed to know for sure that I was going to make the right decision. So that was when Ben told me, come out to Flagstaff for a visit. And that was in November. Came out to Flagstaff for two weeks, fell in love with it, came back. And that week, um, we basically started my the paperwork for me to leave the company on December 31st. Left the company December 31st, and I officially moved to Flagstaff January 8th. Of? Of, the, of that. Of which year was that? 2014. That's right. So yeah, you would have been here. You would have arrived basically right at the time that we started Northern Arizona. Like right. Officially. Yeah. Right. Yeah. That was how it went. Um, but I, you know, he's been very nice to say that, um, 
you know, he trusted me. But I was, of course, as, as with all of the athletes, when we first started, I was very um, gracious or very humbled by the fact, I guess, that they would come out here because we were, you know, sort of an unknown. Um, I mean, Eric knew me, so that was a little, I had a little advantage there. But no, it was, it's a, it's a, you feel a huge sense of responsibility as a coach as well because, you know, particularly with Eric because he's giving up a very successful financial career. Not giving up, quote-unquote. I knew that you could always go back to it, um, which you did <laughs> and which you're doing now. Um, but it's a big it's a big thing because you, 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 ha- you hold people's hopes and dreams, you know, in your hands in a way. Um, and you're, you're sort of responsible for guiding them to these – these very lofty goals that they have, and so I was um, I was honored that he would he would trust me and, and come out here. But yeah, I, I, I um, when when he came out, he was a guy who I looked at as as having tons of talent. You know, it was it wasn't a favor. Uh, like he said, he ran twenty thirty seven as a twenty year old, um, barely twenty. Right? Yeah, it was like a yeah, it was like a week after my birthday. Yeah, yeah, that's not common. <laughs> that's really high level talent, and I knew some of the things he had done at Arkansas. I knew he had a high ceiling, and that's what we're looking for. That's what we were looking for then, and that's what we're still looking for. Um, is is people that can make that jump from, you know, just below the very very top tier and make the jump to the top tier. And I I thought he was one of those type of guys. Um, now I did know he had the injury history. And so there is a timing issue. It is it is it was fortunate for him because now one of the which we're in a more fortunate position and we can be pickier and durability is one of the big things now. I mean, particularly going into this next phase as we head into twenty twenty. I mean, durability is huge because you know if a guy like Eric with his talent aerobically, which he I would put him up against anybody aerobically. If he had the the bone structure that would have allowed him to train on the ground 120, 130 miles a week without getting stress fractures, then, I mean, the sky would have been the limit. But that's the challenge with distance running is it's not just the talent that you think of. The talent you think of is the kid who runs 530 in the mile in gym class in sixth grade with no training. That's right. the, And he had that t- kind of talent. Um, as, as do as do a lot of people <laughs> as do a lot of people but then there's also the durability piece and there's also the mental piece and all these things are in innate talents as well and and sort of you have to eventually or hopefully uh, find that person that has all of those things you know and he had everything you could possibly need except that he had low bone density you know but as he said we we dealt with that as best we could mm-hmm. and uh, and I'm really proud of of how we worked together, and I think it's a good template for me moving forward because we de- it would definitely was a, a, a group effort uh, between he and I uh, to figure it out. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, speaking of podcasts, I got hooked on podcasts because I spent so much time on an Alter G treadmill. Yeah. So, what was your favorite? Or what is your favorite? Uh, I bounced back and forth between the TED Radio Hour and This American Life just because they're stories. I listen to the Ben Rosario podcast sometimes, <laughs> but yeah, I hear yeah, that's talk to my ear all day anyway. Yeah, so. you, don't need, you don't need to really listen to that. Uh, yeah, what do you got next for us? Um, so there's being another thing on the website that Eric was known as the guy you don't want to do a hill workout with. Sweet. <laughs> what, like, what are your thoughts on that? What do you think made you like really nasty at hills? Uh, growing up in Missouri, Missouri had a lot of hills. I think like I only knew cross country courses that were hilly. Um, 
from my youth days to high school. And it wasn't until I went to college and I experienced the manicured golf course, cross country courses. I realized there was anything different than like a muddy hilly course. I mean, Terre Haute it sucks, but you know, for the most part, I, I really think I, my running career was born on hills. So that being said, local, local runner, Jordan Chippengama has my name. I've never beaten him on a hill <laughs> and Craig's beat me on a few hills too. So <laughs> I know people claim that the guardrail record has been broken, but I still think I have it. There's no no documentation. (laughs) I think Brawny's tough to beat on on that uh, that workout. No, everybody everybody has their talents, of course, or their specialties and the things that they're better at than others. And and Eric uh, was very good on hills. He was very good on uh, long, steady states, which we figured out over time. And, And I think his ability to lock into a pace was... Oh, sorry, was was very um, was very well suited, of course, for the marathon, which is that's what it's all about. And so, you know, coming back to CIM, that's what was really amazing about his run there because he ran one hundred seven hundred five, one hundred seven hundred four for his splits, and and it was it was uh, exactly how you would describe a marathon. Those splits feel easy at first, mm-hmm. then they get a little harder, and it's not it's not a 10k type of hard or 5k type of hard it's it's a marathon type of hard where you don't start breathing heavier it's not harder aerobically it's just your legs get a little heavier a little heavier start feeling a little bit more and more like tree trunks and you have to have the mental capacity to sort of override those signals that the brain is firing at you to slow down and you just have to find a way to make 507s which that's the pace um you have to find a way to make them keep happening even though the effort to hit them 22 miles in is much different than the effort it took to hit them early. But for somebody who was dealing with that phenomenon for the first time, not that we don't obviously do as much as we possibly can to emulate it in practice, but he was, he was handling it for the first time in a race and he did, he did a great job. Yeah. He did a great job. Well, I think a lot of that resonates to the training we did before the race because there were so many long repeats, you know, two by six mile, um, multiple workouts that started with a three-mile tempo and ended with a three-mile tempo that in themselves isn't that long, but it makes it makes a runner really immune to time. So for me in that marathon, when it turned from, oh, just running 507 is no problem to like, holy crap, this is really hard and my body just wants to stop, I just, re- I just reverted back to, well, it's only 15 minutes of my life. You know, like I was like, I literally, and I, I wrote about that on my blog too, how I just thought about it in time versus thinking like, oh, I have three miles to go. I was like, I'm literally just going to be running for 15 minutes. That's one Camp Verity three mile tempo loop that we would finish workouts with, you know? And yeah, it just came down to being immune to time for me, I think. So, Can I tell the story about that race? So I'll tell it to you from the fans' perspective because it was it's really fun because, you know, as a coach or a family member or whoever, like, you, there's nothing you can do, you know, once the gun goes. I mean, you're just, a, you're just a spectator, you know. So, But I do like being out on the course as opposed to just waiting for them at the finish. So um, Josh Cox, uh, Eric's agent, and I and Eric's family um, sort of – mapped out how we could see as much of the course as possible. There's not a ton because it's point to point. So we, we all hopped in a car and the first time we saw him was at 10K and he was one second off. He was one second fast, which it's so early in the race. 
and I, we had really pounded into his head that he had to be on, you know. So I sort of yelled at him in a joking way <laughs> that he was one second off, and he, you know, he was laughing. And so it was all it was all fun and games there. Um, and I knew he was feeling really good, of course. Then the next time we saw him was just after halfway, and the race has the splits coming through. So on our phones, it popped up that he hit halfway spot on. 507 pace and then we saw him like a couple minutes or a minute after that because we were very close to halfway but he didn't look as good uh at halfway he was kind of had a concerned look on his face as we found out later he had a bit of a calf cramp that he was kind of dealing with which happens in marathons there's these weird up and down sort of i feel good i don't feel as good Uh oh what's this and then it goes away kind of thing in the marathon and so we were concerned as we got back in the car the mood was a little more somber as we headed to 20 miles um, we were also watching Steph Bruce because she was racing as well, but I'm, I'm just kind of telling the story as it relates to Eric. So uh, we got to 20, and um, 20 was cool because, first of all, Josh also had other athletes in the race. Daniel Tapia, who was running very well, and he came through, and he looked very good. And Scott McPherson, a former teammate of Eric's, and he looked very good um, at Arkansas, I should say. And And then Eric not too far behind, and we – as we could see him in the distance, we knew that they were running to 12 mid pace. And once we saw him down the road, we knew that he was also, because he was trying to run 214, so we knew that he was probably on that pace. And then when he came through 20, he looked much better than he had at 13, much better. I mean, full of running, no problems. Um, focused, very focused, like definitely not laughing, but, <laughs> but, but not concerned either, you know, just locked in, I would say. And so then we hopped in the car and had to zoom down to 25-ish is where we were going to try to get to. And I think Josh ran a red light. And we were, we were, I mean, we were just yelling basically like, he looks good. He looks so good. He's going to do it. And we knew from the splits that he had, he was still on as well. And so then I hopped out of the car. His parents went down toward the finish. I wanted to see him at 25 because that's your last chance maybe as a coach. Maybe you feel like maybe you could have some influence, you know. Mm -hmm. And uh, so at 25, I'm standing there. And, of course, I see uh, first come by, second, and then Tapia was in third. And at 20, you know, Tapia had been several places ahead of Eric. Um, so I'm not sure who's going to be coming next. Uh, but then as you look down the road, it's a nice, big, long, flat road. Then you see this big guy coming in. And you're like, oh, it's the big dog. It's the big dog, you know. And uh, so I was totally getting chills. I was like, yes, yes. And sure enough, he had just passed Scotty McPherson, his old teammate. So I was just yelling pick suey and Razorbacks and everything I could to just try to get him going. Because I also knew he had just a pair of a chance to go under 214, but he would have had to really rip. Um, which is very hard to do, you know, at the end of a marathon. But I was just yelling as, as loud as I can, and then I headed over to the finish and he finished, and this is so. If you're if you're listening to this podcast, you you gotta go to the video. I don't know where they can find this video. Uh, I know Josh tweeted it. So I mean, the finish scoured through Josh. Scoured Josh Cox's Twitter account, but the finish was cool because he finished in fourth place after having been in eighth or ninth or twenty or whatever, and he just literally collapsed at the finish. I mean, fell down hard. <laughs> Well, it wasn't right. immediate. It took, that took a couple steps. A couple <laughs> steps. A couple steps. And he fell down hard. And Josh gets it all on video and it's all chaotic. But it was such a cool microcosm of the race, right? Because with Eric, we had to do all these things in training that were like, we've got to get him ready for 26.2 miles, but it's not going to be easy. We have to do all this stuff on the ultra G. He can't run as many miles as maybe some other people can. We've got to, we've got to do the workouts exactly. Um to the T as prescribed and he's got to learn the pace and the rhythm because he 
can't, we don't have extra energy to mess with with him. So I thought it was so, you know, poignant that he would finish and then not have anything left because that's sort of like the approach yeah. we had in our mind was like, yes, you're ready for 26.2, but that's it. <laughs> you know? And, uh, and, and 26.3 mile race. And it was, and it was cool because, he, because like, I really think that's as fast as he could have gone on the day. You know, you, you as a runner so often finish a race and like try to think about these times in the race where you could have done this, or you could have done that, or you could have knocked out a couple seconds here, but I just don't really think that was the case. And that was why it was cool to see him <laughs> fall over at the line. I'm glad I mean, you found enjoyment. I found enjoyment from it because that was it. That was all he had. So it was such a cool race. It was really one of my favorites uh, that we've had uh, over the course of the, the team's existence. And so I just like telling that story because it was special. Yeah. How'd you feel once you fell? Oh, he was out. Yeah, yeah. No, it was. I mean, I don't know if if people have run a marathon, you know, you know, kind of the emotional journey it takes you on. But um, I was down. <laughs> like, like uh, Josh came, ran over and helped me up, and then a race volunteer helped me up. And it was funny because the race volunteer kept telling me, okay, you got to walk, you got to walk. And Josh was like, he literally can't. We need a wheelchair right now. Because I was trying. Like, my feet were just dragging behind me. I was just, I was just like a limp fish, you know. Uh, but they put me in the wheelchair, and they wheeled me to medical. And uh, my fiance, she was able to break through, like, I mean, whatever kind of security they have there. So she was walking with me, too. And... I mean, I'm man enough to admit that I started crying at that point. And it was like, it was like full on tears. And Angela, God bless, like I've been dealing with some Achilles pain. She, I mean, it was like, oh my God, he ruptured his Achilles. That's got to be why he's crying. And she was like, are you okay? Are you okay? And I just told her, I was like, I'm just really happy. So that was cool. And then the medical personnel were awesome. Because, I mean, I was fourth place and the first three people didn't have to go to medical. So I had like the medical tent to myself. Which meant I had like fifteen people all around me, you know, giving me like chicken broth, trying to help me like swallow. And cause it was hard. It took me a while to be able to swallow, honestly. Because um, earlier in the race, the last gel I had taken, it was around mile twenty four, twenty five. I actually threw it up because I just wasn't able to keep anything down. So um, again, I definitely think my fiance loves me because she basically kept putting her hand out when I couldn't swallow things to like take my chewed up food. No. <laughs> I'm sure she's happy I'm sharing that, but uh, no, it was a cool experience. It was really emotional. Um, it was fun. It was very fun. Yeah. So, what does life look like for you now that you're retired? So, what is it? What is an average day in life for Eric Fernandez like? Uh, it's like Ernest Hemingway. You know, I live on the beach. I write for three <laughs> hours, and then I just sit in the tiki hut drinking rum. No. <laughs> um, so, I am working in financial services again. I'm working for an independent brokerage agency, which is very nice because it gives me the freedom to work from home. Um, I'm currently dressed nice for this because I'm meeting with clients later today, but half the time I'm usually wearing shorts and sandals from home. Um, and also, you know, I'm still trying to stay involved with NAZ Elite. Ben's letting me um, do some pacing duties, uh, either for our women or we have Matt Fitzgerald running with us right now, so I've been able to do that. Um, I'm going to the gym. I wouldn't say I'm in a full Ryan Hall transformation phase, but I will say I have gained quite a bit of weight and it's not fat, so that makes me pretty proud of myself. Um, and I also have had the opportunity to work part-time at the local running store just because, again, even though I'm not um, competing in the sport anymore, I didn't leave with a bitter taste in my mouth. In fact, I love the sport now more than I probably ever have. 
And uh, I talked with the Cherry, the owner of Run Flagstaff, and he's letting me work part time at the store just as another opportunity to stay involved with the community and the and the sport. Because, I mean, if you haven't been to Flagstaff, you don't understand it. But Flagstaff, like the running community here, is second to none. And just because I'm not running like I used to anymore doesn't mean I wanted to completely depart from that community. So. Still being able to help out with the team's been awesome, and then uh, being able to work at the running store and honestly have a more hands-on approach with just the community as a whole versus the elite side of it has been a lot of fun too. Um, it's a little weird learning about shoes that aren't Hoka, but you know that's the nature of working in a running store. So, <laughs> so yeah, it's been fun. Has anyone come into the store and been like, "Oh, you, you're Eric, right?" I think you're giving me too much credit for how cool I am. <laughs> Craig came into the store. Craig Lutz came in. And he knew who I was. <laughs> <laughs> That's good. You helped Craig buy a pair of Hoka's? Yeah, yeah. I helped him, I helped him with some Hoka apparel. Recommended the, the recovery glides. So Slides. Slides. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. So we're just going to do with a couple of wrap-up questions. So yeah. what is your pet peeve? I don't know. Am I allowed to say a-holes? Or... <laughs> My pet peeve, uh, mean people. Mean yeah. people. Oh, I hate it. I, I hate it when someone eats popcorn and doesn't wash their hands afterwards, and they have popcorn grease on their fingers. Yeah, wash your hands, people. Valid. <laughs> um, what is your favorite flavor of ice cream? Uh, probably cookie anything. So like cookie dough, cookies and cream, stuff like that. Yeah. Do you have a favorite place in Flagstaff where you get ice cream or? Well, I honestly don't eat a lot of ice cream because I have zero self-control and I'll eat it all. And then that just leads to a whole mess of issues that you don't even want to know about. So I, I honestly probably only eat ice cream like two or three times a year just because when I do, I go like balls to the wall. So. <laughs> and what is your favorite place to eat in Flagstaff for like a meal? I love the Annex Burger. So the Annex is a place off of... I know everyone loves Diablo Burger. I love Diablo Burger too, but the Annex Burger is really good. So Nice. Yeah. And then, if you had to eat 10,000 calories of a single food in one day, what would you sushi. eat? Sushi. Okay. Hands down, sushi. What type of sushi? S sushi. I don't know. <laughs> All of it. I just love sushi. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and then, what is your favorite team memory with NAZ Elite? My favorite team memory? Mm -hmm. I thought you said favorite team member. I was like, that's going to be a risk, <laughs> risky question. <laughs> team memory? Uh, I don't know, man. All of it. The whole thing was a journey. Um, uh, for, yeah, I don't know. All of it. Yeah. Ah, first year, first year with NAZ Elite before we had an official sponsor or anything, Ben and Jen took the team to Las Vegas and we stayed in a house for a long weekend and there was like a pool and sand volleyball and stuff. That was kind of cool. But that was when we were like more rugged because, you know, we were all running for free. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Okay. Thank you very much, Eric, and thank you, Ben, for your time.